From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to MP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Tardive dyskinesia, or TD, is a serious side effect that may occur with some medications used to treat mental illnesses. It appears as involuntary movements of the tongue, lips, face, trunk, or extremities. And the functional disability associated with a TD can range anywhere from mild to moderate to severe and definitely has a significant impact on the quality of life in many areas. In this compelling episode, nurse practitioner Terry Dilks talks with Brian Smuda, who describes how TD impacted him physically, emotionally, and socially. And we'll also take a look at his journey from his first symptoms to being almost incapacitated and finally, getting his life back. Let's hear Brian's story. Hello, I'm Dr. Terry Dilks. I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and a professor at McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I'm thrilled that I was asked to do this podcast and particularly thrilled to do it with Brian Smuda. Um, and I'm going to ask Brian, Brian, would you go ahead and tell us just real briefly about yourself, please? Hey, Terry, thanks for having me on the podcast here. It's a pleasure to be part of this. And so my, my name is Brian Smuda. I am a 34-year-old from Connecticut, and I have had a condition called tardive dyskinesia for six years before being properly diagnosed. And I think that's a little bit of what we might be talking about today. Yes, absolutely. Can you tell me what it's been like for you with tardive dyskinesia and the dystonias that you have as well? So for that six year period, it was difficult. And then it got a lot more difficult. And there's a lot of factors that would lead up to the condition worsening over the years. I always relate it to when you're catching a fish and kind of flop, it flops around in the boat. Uh, that's where my condition wound up being towards the end before my um, deep brain stimulation, which I'm sure we'll discuss. Most definitely. So how did it develop? When did you first start noticing the symptoms and what kind of medications were you taking? What were they prescribed for to begin with, I guess? Absolutely. I grew up with Tourette's syndrome and we noticed that at the age of five, they called it nervous tech. And then when I graduated college in 2008, I began taking medications for the Tourette's syndrome. Um, just out of the blue, I said to my parents, hey, look, I'm entering the business world. I don't want to have these minor tics. It was really nothing at all to be ashamed about or, you know, nothing I should have taken medicine for, but I wanted to be perfect and that wasn't the right decision. So I started with Tourette's medications, and then four years after that, in 2012, I began getting anxiety or panic attacks, as I called them. So that led to anxiety medicines, um, a long list of those. 
And at what point did you notice that it went beyond the minor ticks that you had earlier? It was two years into the medication of the anxiety medicine that I noticed my neck was pulling back on a consistent basis. And that was the first sign, unknowing at the time of you know, a side effect of one of the medications. And you said it went misdiagnosed for many years. What were people telling you that was going on with you? Took two years to get those side effects. And they were, the doctor at first was under the assumption that my Tourette syndrome was just getting worse with age. And as my own personal knowledge over the years, Tourette syndrome can develop at any point during the life, either disappear or evolve out of nowhere. And the doctor had thought that my Tourette's was just worsening, which was also leading to a worse case of anxiety. And as the panic attacks continued, they continued to prescribe me antipsychotics as well as movement disorder medicines to help with the minor twitching. But there was always the continued side effects that would grow seemingly with every medication I would be put on. Did they up the dose at all or did they just switch you out? Do you recall? There was multiple times where it was just, you know, let's do, let's do two more of these. You know, let's double this or let's do three times a day on that. Some of the medications were, you know, to quote another doctor, to t enough to take down a horse. Right. So when, when did you get a correct diagnosis? What happened? 2018. So six years after that first notice of the head nod, my psychiatrist actually recommended me to go to one of his friends in the medical field, which luckily for me was within a 15, 20 minute drive from my house. And I got there. He recommended initially, Brian, you need to go get deep brain stimulation. And this is a doctor who had recommended that to a friend who had Parkinson's disease years prior. And when I saw the neurologist, an actual movement disorder specialist who focused on neurology and Parkinson's, epilepsy, essential tremors, she's expanded into Tourette's. She focuses on dystonia as well as the tardive dyskinesia. So that was 2018 when I actually got, knew what the word tardive dyskinesia was, and that entered my vocabulary. And you've been doing a lot of uh, research on that since then, I imagine. Oh, gosh, yeah. Can you describe maybe a day in the life of, of Brian? prior to going to the neurologist and getting into the deep brain stimulation program, what was your average day like? My average day consisted of hiding, sleeping, and if I went out, it would be with my closest friends who understood that I had a condition, but we didn't know what it was. I still just thought it was a really bad case of Tourette's. And I only had two spots that I would go to in public that were kind of like safe zones where I knew the employees and the staff and most of the regular clientele there that I wouldn't get those judgmental lurking eyes, which we always get when you have a condition like this, you, you notice something. That must have felt awful. It, it does. I almost feel it'd be better off if somebody that doesn't know would walk up to you and say, is everything okay? Because then at this point in my life, you're able to 
take that step and inform and engage with them and let them know about the condition. So prior to you knowing what it was, did you have an answer for that kind of question? The answer I was able to give was, I'm not on drugs. Because majority of the time, people would just ask, are you on Coke? Can I have some Coke? Are you on meth, ecstasy, acid? Those, those are the drugs I've been asked for, let alone if I'm drunk. And I don't even drink or do any drugs. That must have been kind of weird to have people come up and say, oh, do you, got, do you have any Coke hanging around that I can buy off of you? Absolutely. Uh, because of the twitchiness, I assume goes hand in hand sometimes with what people who are on coke or meth look like. You had the deep brain stimulation done when? August 2nd, 2018 was phase one of the DBS. That's where they implanted the two leads, one into each side of my brain, down into the center, which is the GPI. And they left a little bundle of wiring on the side that day, which they would later on connect on August 28th right on my birthday, one of the best birthday presents I got, they installed the battery pack and computer unit and linked those wires together behind my ear for the whole program to start working. And how long did that take? Begin to notice differences. So for myself, it took five months of programming and they began the programming August 31st. I'm really blessed to be a special case on this one where everything was expedited. Um, going back to the doctor who recommended me to get in there, they wanted to see me in January. Well, they gave me the recommendation in May. I was in there in June to start the tests and all the examinations. So for myself, it took five months of programming. And when I use the word everybody, I actually say it as two words. So everybody is going to react differently, whether that's to the programming settings or the medications one's taking, if not going with the DBS option. Right. And so what is your day like now? What, like, what's the difference between how you slept before this and how you sleep now or when you go out in public before and after? Tell me about that a little bit. Sure. So sleep actually exists. I uh, can go to bed and if I'm tired, just on a normal sleep cycle, I can fall asleep on the average 20 minutes. I feel like a normal human there. I, bef I used to roll around for two or three hours in bed, finding different pressure points until I could almost rock myself to sleep. And falling asleep, if you had to wake up and go to the bathroom, you got to restart all that. So prior to the surgery, there was no sleep, maybe three or four hours maximum in a night and the quality of life there's no going out and having fun as we talked about you know going out with only friends to certain places and today being 2021 in august i'm able to wake up hop in my car drive wherever i want and feel comfortable in my own skin going out and doing things not only because it's mentally comfortable i'm you know, accepted everything and you know if there's a lurking eye, but the physical abilities are, are all there to be able to do what I want to. Very good. So not stared at quite as much? Not as much. And when it, when it happens, I, I assess the situation and, and approach it in a, 
a more civilized, mature manner than I might have prior to it. So, Brian, um, we talked about how people would stare at you um, previously, particularly when, when the Tardive was super bad. What do you do now? How do you handle it? Um, are they still coming up to you and asking you if you deal Coke? I would love to be, um, be the number one Coke dealer in the world if it were free and legal to sell. However, printing out business cards that say, I do not drink or do drugs, happens to be the better, more legal choice on that one. And on that card, it says, I do not drink or do drugs. This is me, Brian Smuda. And then it gives tardive dyskinesia, the condition, photos of the brain surgery down on the bottom, as well as a definition of tardive dyskinesia. So it's educating and informing the person, whether they're you know looking for drugs or just curiously wondering what's going on at the booth next to them. The day I made those business cards was the day after I got home from a ski resort and I had, I was you know, in the stall, I go trying to relax because my symptoms were pretty bad then. And I was just trying to go use the restroom and a gentleman approached, he was in the bathroom. He goes, Hey, can I get some of that? And I'm thinking, Oh great. This guy's looking for cocaine. I'm in a bathroom stall at a ski resort. This, this is going to go well. And I said, sorry, man, I got, got brain surgery. He goes, Oh, me too. I'm like, okay. I'm thinking there's probably a 2% chance that's an actual statement. I go, no, really. I got a battery pack in my chest. And, you know, he goes, oh yeah, me too. I'm like, all right. At this point, I said, let's make a bet then. I bet you, how much do you have? He goes, $20. I go, I bet you when I'm done in here, I'm going to come out and show you my battery pack and take your money. At that point, Somehow he walked into a locked bathroom stall door and he's in my face in my private time and asking for cocaine and I'm showing him the wire running down my neck, the battery pack in my chest, and he's still asking for it. So the next day I knew I had to make a card just make that whole situation a lot simpler. Yes. My goodness, that's quite a story. I noticed that your symptoms are not totally gone. So what sort of an improvement would you say there's been? And do you still get, I guess, the same questions? The questions still come as far as, you know, what we've been discussing, but the symptoms are improvement-wise 90% better on any given day. And if someone just, if we met face-to-face -face right now, you would, you would see the ticks and say, that is an excessive amount of movement compared to, I'm air quoting, your normal human being, but nobody's normal. Everyone has an issue, could be this or that. Mine happens to be visual. And prior to the surgery, like you mentioned in the videos, waking up in the morning, I was sucking all, all day long, sucking my abdomens in, which would lead to either eating something immediately and vomiting it out, or pushing it out the other side because of that movement in the stomach. And then I would lay on the floor, find pressure points, roll around. That, that's gone. There was a point where I actually broke three ribs from those abdominal twitches. And that video is on YouTube titled, The Storm Before the Calm. 
Oh, that's an interesting title. So you are doing public service um, when you post things like that. And it's, you know, from my standpoint as a prescriber, I find that this is not a well understood um, condition and that it is potentially preventable if the prescribers would recognize it very, very early and take mitigation steps so that they can decrease the occurrence of it. I know that you saw your neurologist yesterday, I think. Yeah. And I asked you to have her comment. And this was, was the message that you sent to me. Neuroleptics that are dopamine receptor blocking agents, NRBAs, are being used more frequently as adjunctive to antidepressants. Even if these medications are marketed as atypical or second-generation antipsychotics, know that these can still cause tardive dyskinesias. As such, if these medications are being used more frequently, we may see more people developing TD. It's important to be aware of this. So what, what she's talking about with that is that some of what we call atypical or second-generation antipsychotics are being marketed to family practices as an add-on to any depressant therapy that is not completely resolved. And I've also seen them being given for sleep. My mother's had a physician that prescribed quetiapine, which is Seroquel, 50 milligrams at night for sleep. And, and I see this happening more and more and more. And that just, first of all, she's older age, which puts her at greater risk of development of TD. Um, she's a woman that also increases the risk. And that physician didn't tell her about any of those risks. He, I think, relied on the pharmacist to, and fortunately my mom's an RN, so she reads everything diligently. And I think your neurologist is right. I think we're going to see an increase in the incidence of tardive dyskinesia because many of these offices are not screening for it after they start somebody on it, and they're certainly not telling people about it. How would it have been different for you if they had told you that this was a potential occurrence? So with, with tardive dyskinesia, just from a Google search, it shows it as a rare disease, less than 200,000 people get it in a year within the U.S., which I st still think is a very high number at 200,000. But the growing rate, like you just mentioned, of all these new medications being prescribed, if they're not properly being recognized of a side effect from the doctor, the prescriber, and we kind of, as we discussed earlier, if both parties involved, the, the patient and the doctor, either aren't informed or keeping an eye out for it, they're going to require more of that medication, which is going to lead to a worsening of the symptom. And then there's almost, it comes to the point of no return where you've already unlocked the floodgates of the dopamine. There's no more medications. That's the point where I've talked to people online where they were on their last limb. There's multiple people that have told me that conversation we had last night, I'm still breathing because of something you said, which I've never in my entire life thought I would save a life that way. If there's one thing of a story, it's a friend who got very intoxicated, had a gun in his mouth, and watched one of my videos and decided to change his mind. Oh, how wonderful. That's, 
All you need is one of those, right? Yeah. Brian, you and I talked a little bit about your feelings that you had. What would you tell me as a prescriber to be aware of, things that I need to be cognizant of and to be empathetic with for people with tardive dyskinesias? So there's a few answers to to go with that. And the first part would be if you're prescribing something as the prescriber or any doctor would be in, you want to make sure not only yourself, but the patient is well informed. And if that involves reading through one or two pages of any possible side effects that you might want to keep an eye on, just that you and the patient know of every side effect. So if a side effect does pop up, that patient can come back and say, hey, Terry, there is an issue, I think, can we assess this? And from there, you can maybe wean off of a medication or direct towards a different medication. Some other points on what I think the doctors and patients should be able to do is get more frequent appointments. There's every six months, that's not really the best way for a doctor to see how a patient's doing on a 30 minute period. Whereas, you know, if it was every few months for an hour, you might be able to get a better read on the patient because a lot of factors go into someone like myself with a movement disorder. If I have a stressful day, which leads to anxiety, which is gonna lead to lack of sleep, and then the next day I have an appointment, you might see me very twitchy, or on the total opposite, if I feel really good and come into the office, you might say, Brian, you're doing fantastic. Let's you know, keep the medicine the same. And then the next day I go home and I'm just twitching and getting more side effects. So that's you know, more, more patient visits per year. The, uh, the third touch point I have that uh, we, we discussed was just listening to patient concerns. So I'll just kind of put that sentence out there. Right. I think you, you mentioned that and were very firm about it, that there was a feeling that you weren't being listened to. The aspect of being listened to as a patient from the doctor, but I see it more amongst the community. There's luckily some online groups throughout uh, social media links. And I see it too often where people go see a doctor at their local hospital and the doctor just either isn't informed enough where they don't want to diagnose with XYZ or being tardive dyskinesia in this condition, or they'll automatically make the assumption of, oh, you don't have TD, you're just, you're just XYZ, you have this, you're nervous right now, you're shaking because you're dehydrated. And I understand that at this point, you know, there's other outside factors that can lead to a shake, a twitch, jaw movement, side rolling, any of the symptoms of TD, but I think the doctor should, you know, take some notes on that and having more frequent visits, see if those conditions are still there on that next visit and then move forward from that. You, you mentioned briefly social media uh, just a few minutes ago. When you and I discussed what we might talk about today, you had some really compelling examples of the stigma uh, that you find on social media. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
So between social media and then real life media, kind of the real social life, the judgment that would come of people that either know you or don't know you, it was, it was nonstop. And like I mentioned, these days after the surgery, you can still pick up and recognize it. And it's all how you carry yourself to approach that person if you do, or you just avoid it completely and kind of beat yourself up mentally and say, I'm being judged again, I'm being judged again. And that just, that's a punching bag wherever, whenever you would go out or post a video online. And I was always very social on these online platforms and people would even comment not knowing me said, wow, you look like Randy Rick Savage. And I knew why they were making the comment. And I would call them out and say, why do you, why do you feel that way? Look at your jaw, you're coked up. And that led to the conversation of, I'm actually not, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Now, you've described, though, reading some comments in social media that you found insensitive, at the very least, and that you felt like you had to jump in and say something about it. That, that the judgment was just thick or where they just were, were being ugly about symptoms or, or laughing about them even. Yes, uh, social media is, is a hellhole of keyboard warriors that would never say something that they would actually type to you in person in front of your face. And it's a matter of you're going to get a notification on your phone that John Doe commented on your photo or commented on your video. And it's human nature. If you have social media, you're going to click it. And when you click it, it's either going to be good or bad in the topic right now. Those would be the, you know, the negative comments. And when you're in that position of going six years undiagnosed, you don't need any of that negativity. You've got enough of it just waking up. If you even do wake up, there were days where you wouldn't want to wake up, but you did. You mentioned also briefly some suicidal thoughts or that you were surprised that you didn't kill yourself at the height of this. Yeah, suicide. That's, that is the scariest word in the English language that ever resonates in my mind. The doctor who recommended me, he's my psychiatrist, the one who recommended me for the DBS. There was one, one day I was visiting him and I kind of blacked out this moment in my life, but I remember I did go to the psych ward. I stayed just about a week there and the mental toll that it takes on you because of not just the twitching, not the judgments, you're beating yourself up saying, what do I have? Why do I have this? They say steel is melted and beaten and melted and beaten, and then it makes it stronger. And that's kind of the way I feel after being in the psych ward and after going through all of this, I feel a lot stronger than I did prior to having the deep brain stimulation and the proper diagnosis. Okay. And, and you have a social media page that I visited and, and looked at some of the videos that you had, and, and it was very compelling. One in particular was you waking up in the morning and how difficult it was for you to even get out of bed. What led to you doing that, to posting something where anybody could see it? 
Transparency and vulnerability is really what I've accepted. And I registered the domain name, thehaircutbook.com, which is also the social media pages that you're referring to. And I did that in July prior to the brain surgery, knowing that I had three options with this procedure. I was going to have the procedure. It would work. I would have the procedure. It wouldn't work. I would have the procedure and just die on the bed there. I would have taken options one and three, but being blessed enough to have option one where getting the procedure and having it work. Now I can show the before the during almost like during the, all the settings and the after and have a community of people that I would have never expected to reach, reach out to me. So that has happened then. You've had people, other people with tardive dyskinesias or dystonias um, that have reached out? Many, continent, many continents, many countries of people have reached out. I've had Ukraine, Germany, Australia, Canada, and all across the U.S. of people that either have a minor twitch um, a shaky hand, whatever their condition is, they would find me through uh, a hashtag on Twitter, a hashtag on Instagram, and wind up watching a video and saying to themselves, I feel that I'm in Brian's shoes. I should message him. And I always respond to him because if someone can only go one year with this condition undiagnosed, opposed to six years with junk treatments, wrong prescription medicines, and a worsening symptom, that makes me feel like I have the purpose of helping other people. You would have, I imagine, given anything to have somebody for yourself that offered you those kind of opportunities and insights, I would think. I've never actually considered any of that until you mentioned it right there. You mentioned that there are some support groups out there. Um, which ones do you recommend? Yeah, I, for a support group, I would recommend my tardive dyskinesia is almost the giant umbrella that covers a condition called dystonia. And there is a foundation out of Chicago. They go by the DMRF, which is the Dystonia Medical Research Foundation. And their fundraisers and the money they raise goes into the science and the research for doctors to learn more about dystonia or you know sometimes tardive dyskinesia if someone goes to the doctor and they say well you don't have dystonia unfortunately you do have td and they they raise money through the department of defense we write letters to our state senators for that and they've they raise a decent amount of money but there's never enough money that can be raised to actually get where somebody needs to be in the in the medical field which i'm sure you're aware of yes yes and what about the social connections that you found with other people who have a similar condition is has that been helpful to you when other people reach out via a social network it's very rewarding in a way that you can't describe um in a position where you're working in the medical field and you see a patient go from like do a complete 180 or you're actually able to help somebody. That's the rewarding feeling and the way 
one, the world should work, but two, the medical field. And to be able to do that through platforms that are designed to addict you and just make you share photos of your food and that you're at the gym <laughs> lifting weight, that's, uh, that's a pretty good twist to uh, any of those inventions out there. Absolutely. So since you had the deep brain stimulation, there have been new medications that have come out for treatment of tardive dyskinesias. Um, are you aware of those and have, have you seen how it's helped other people? I've seen some new medications over the last couple of years. One actually being on a commercial earlier this month, a gentleman was carrying a, a box at work, an actor in the commercial. And he was carrying a box and he states, I didn't know what was going on. I was shaking. And then I went to my doctor and they told me I had tardive dyskinesia. So they prescribed the, the person, the commercial, um, one of those new medications. I believe there's Ingreza and Abilify right now, among others. Abilify is an antipsychotic. So it's, it's a medication that can cause tardive dyskinesia. They're called VMAT2 inhibitors. They came out within about six months of each other, and it seems to greatly reduce the symptoms of tardive dyskinesia. And if it works for a person and they go off of it and they have persistent tardive dyskinesia where they're going to have it the rest of their lives, the symptoms reappear. So it's one of those things that you may have to stay on. And, and I'm assuming that your DBS device will have to stay in. Absolutely. And that's a great touching point you mentioned there of the medication. Once you're on it, if you have TD, for me, the TD is an influx, a, a nonstop broken dam of dopamine just being released. So my deep brain stimulation, it will continue, continue to need adjustments throughout the rest of my life because the brain adapts to things, obviously. And mm -hmm. with the medication, as people wean on and wean off of them or increase their dosage, they're gonna grow, not immune to the medication, but their body's just gonna adapt to it. And you know, six years from now, is there gonna be a new medication? Right, so do you have to undergo surgery frequently or is there just that initial implantation of the wires? So the DBS program, most hospitals that I've worked with break it down into two phases. One being when they'll insert the leads into the brain and then the second one where they'll input the battery pack into either the chest or the abdomen. And mm -hmm. at that point is where they'll connect the wires together from the brain down to the battery slash CPU computer unit. And then from there, they'll start programming after you heal up a little bit. And you have an app on your phone that allows you to adjust the dose of the simulation. Did I understand that correctly? The programmer that they provide me with, I use Medtronic. Boston Scientific has a deep brain stimulation option as well as Abbott Technologies. Uh, I use Medtronic and there's a, a Samsung, it's a phone, but it, you can't use it as a phone. Um, they mm -hmm. call that your patient programmer. So when I'm at home, if I'm recharging my battery, which I'll touch on, on the different packs of batteries, 
So if I'm recharging my battery and I need to adjust a setting, there's stored settings, kind of like your favorites list. There's, you know, I can go from group A to group B to group C. And this is where everybody is going to react differently. For me, it takes about three to four weeks to see if the adjustments are doing any better, any worse or nothing. Uh, so when I change the setting, I have to wait it out. It's not like you can just change it and be like, all right, we're good to go. Right. So it, it takes a lot of patience then. Very much. So when you, when you decide to change it or to see if something else would work better, do you have particular symptoms in mind when you do that? Or is it just sort of a general decrease in problem symptoms? When I've had to adjust the settings on my own, being at home instead of at the doctor's office, which I see them for a checkup slash adjustment every six months, which is counterintuitive to my statement earlier. I'm content with mm -hmm. every six months right now uh, for the adjustments because I feel my adjustments are close to their ample settings. The ability to change it at home and having to wait, that's all based on if I notice that I'm extra twitchy for a week or th there's a, a tick in my face where it's that TD is really starting to show again, I might adjust it from group A to group B just to kind of switch it in my brain so the brain's not you know, used to that group A setting anymore. Are you able to work at this time? I do candles as a hobby and I invest in the stock market. Uh, there's really no way for me to do a nine to five job. Let's say it was a nine to five job I was trying to work. I would on an average day be asleep probably at a desk because I do sleep um, you know, as much of a normal sleep cycle as I can now, but with all the movements through the body, I get exhausted at a, you know, a random time, not the same time every day. And the movements, any outside stress such as a work position does really amplify my condition. So I try being as little, as little stress in my life as possible because it's just not worth it physically, mentally, and go back to that topic of suicide. It's not worth it for anybody to have me do a nine to five or a short shift a couple days a week. Um, my own responsibilities are enough to continue going each day. So you sent me the list of medications that you have been prescribed over the years. And one of them was haloperidol, which is what's, what we call a first generation antipsychotic or one of the older ones. It's been around since the before the 70s. And that puts you at a 30% risk of developing tardive dyskinesia. Two others that you took, risperidone and aripiprazole, have a risk of 20% if you had taken a first-generation antipsychotic like the Haldol. So you were at pretty high risk for developing, uh, in my mind. I mean, th those are pretty big numbers to me. Two out of 10 people that I prescribe these medications to could potentially develop tardive dyskinesia, and it's, it's irreversible. So I think from a perspective of a prescriber and also from a consumer, 
is to make sure that you research the medications that you're being prescribed and for prescribers to make sure that we are attuned with all of the potential side effects. Sometimes I know there's a hesitation uh, among prescribers and certainly it's occurred to me once or twice where I you know, don't want to list out all the potential side effects because I'm afraid with some of the patients that I deal with that they would instantly have those. So it's, it's a balance, but I, I think because tardive dyskinesia in 80% of the people is irreversible, that it's one of those things that has to be included in your discussions when you start people on those kinds of medications. So with my side effects of the tardive dyskinesia, coming from the primary source of Haldol, when I search that online on social groups such as Twitter and put a hashtag in front of it, you can actually see nurses and people within the industry making jokes about it as if it's something funny to joke about where, oh, hey, someone's having a bad time. Hashtag Haldol. See you later. Like, that's transparent to the point where everybody knows you post something online it's visual it's there forever you can hit the delete button i can screenshot it all day long and it's disgusting as a patient that has the side effects from that medication to see people within the industry talking about it that way yes and i think we see this sometimes um, with nurses in the emergency department or some other place where a patient becomes acting out and they talk about sedating them with a combination of medications that includes Haldol. And there are newer things available and hopefully through education and that type of thing will get them to where they consider other options, even in a busy emergency room environment. And in that emergency room, I, I can only imagine as the outsider that, yes, some medications might be tested true and you know proven to work for years, but as you just mentioned, there's new stuff coming out. You know, instead of going for vitamin H, as I've heard it called in the psych ward, as the, the nurse would walk by, hey, room D2 needs some vitamin H. I'm like, oh, please don't give them that. And there's, an, like you said, there's other options. Give them something else to try out for the day. Right. And you bring up a really good point there, too, that, that as healthcare professionals, we need to be aware of our surroundings and who can hear us and be sensitive and empathetic to patients rather than, I mean, in my mind, that kind of statement feels like punishment. That's not where I want to be as a nurse. No, that right there goes across every industry. If you were out buying a, a new vehicle and you heard at the sales desk next to you someone making fun of the person trading in the car, what's going to happen when you leave? They're going to make fun of something on you. You wouldn't want to go back to that car dealership or that hospital after hearing something. From a prescriber's standpoint, that's, that's what I want to point out. So what else, Brian? What, what have we missed talking about? What are things that you want people to know? So even before being diagnosed with tardive dyskinesia, there was that six-year lead-up. And if someone needs to wait one month, lucky them um, or if they're waiting six years plus just hang in there 
There's um, always a reoccurring number in my life, 314. That was my first anxiety attack. It was 314 in the morning. And then today, actually, in 2017, my mother's birthday, 314 was written on a stone at an Airbnb I was staying at for a wedding. And it was, I always said to my mother that if you can see me after you pass or I can see you and you know, somehow interact, let, let it be known. And my apologies for kind of veering off topic here, but that gave me the motivation because on that rock, I said 314 and then it had a Bible verse, press on. So Philippians 314, it said, and if I wasn't pressing on for six years, I'd be pressing up daisies. And that, the fact that I've helped two people not kill themselves out of, let's say, 60 people might have considered reaching out to me, 30 might have. What, what happened to those other 30? The people, yeah. the people that get the condition and don't know what it is, don't question yourself. Go to the doctor. Don't take no for an answer. Work with the doctor. Work with the assistants and explain your concerns as the patient because as you know we stated earlier the doctors don't all know the situation of the medications the side effects aren't read and as you mentioned just a moment ago you don't tell all the side effects because in my mind if you know you you said to me that i might have jerking of the the right cheek every four seconds well, OCD might make my cheek twitch every four seconds. I'll be calling you the night after taking my first pill. So a lot of it just needs to be more transparent both ways. If you're depressed, call your doctor. But the issue with that, you're going to get on antidepressants, which are dopamine blockers and all that receptor stuff. So it's a catch-22 that needs to be balanced very precisely. Yes, and there are some other medications that it occurs rarely with as well, but it is, you know, the antipsychotics in particular that it needs to be addressed with, and then being aware of what other types of medicines could cause it. So I have seen it um, with an antidepressant withdrawal with a serotonin norepinephrine agent. Um, it can happen with some of the serotonin agents that have a greater action on dopamine. It can happen with some drugs that we give for nausea and vomiting. So uh, prescribers, please educate yourself. Consumers, educate yourself too. Be aware of what you're taking. Know that, that we have to list on the drug formularies all of the potential side effects that have occurred during all of the different trials. Pay attention to those that are most common but particularly if you're put on an antipsychotic, watch yourself. Be aware of body movements. Be aware of bringing it to the attention of the person that's prescribing that medication for you. Thank you, Terry and Brian, for joining us on MP Pulse. And I want to personally thank Brian for sharing his powerful story and experiences. To our listeners, I hope you found this episode as valuable as I did and can apply some of what was discussed in your practice. And if this piqued your interest in learning more about tardive dyskinesia and earning continuing education credit, 
Visit AANP CE Center at aanp.org slash CE Center and check out our recently launched activity titled Improving Recognition, Assessment, and Management of Tardive Dyskinesia. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. Thank <laughs> you.